We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We'll talk about Gronkowski. We'll talk about Deshaun Watson fallout. We'll talk about all of your best ball fades and why you don't like some players that the market does like. But in our main topic, players whose stock has fallen over the course of the season. So anyone watching this podcast, I assume that they are following the best ball markets closely. And it's just interesting to see a lot of running backs fall down. I'm Alan Soslowski sitting in for John McKegney. And of course, I'm with everyone's favorite Mario Puig, my favorite Mario Puig. Uh, Mario, just just start right off the back here. Uh, do you believe Gronk is retired for good? I don't know, man. It's I don't know how we could guess. Even I mean, we just saw what happened with Tom Brady right. earlier this off season, but I feel like uh, the timing of it seems a little more convincing for Gronk's case, just because it's uh, not that he can't change his mind still. And, and for all I know, Brady simply did change his mind rather than do some kind of, you know, media rollout scheme, whatever that was. I don't know. I don't know what led to all of that, but uh, Gronk, the Bruce, the Bruce Arians to get rid of Bruce Arians thing, right? That's what the, there was that. Agreed. And there was also uh what, what was it? He was mad at the one per- person for leaking that he was going to retire. So maybe he I, decided like, well, I'm just, uh, just so they reported it wrong. I'm going to come back. Um, but it seems a little more sincere to me to Gronk in Gronk's case, if only because it seems like he actually waited to make the decision and thought about it and heard all the, you know, convincing that people tried to do to get him to come back and took it all in and said, still no. Uh, it is possible that he just kind of wants to skip training camp and comes back, you know, something like August 15th or something like that. But, but then why retire? I- Right. I, I'm just well, you can say you can say you're retiring to skip camp and, and kind of like not have a have a special player privilege status on the team. Where it's like, oh, that's Gronk. He doesn't have to do training camp because he doesn't want to, you know, like that doesn't really fly well with players. So um, I'm not saying that's likely what happened. I'm just uh, it's the only thing I can think of that would maybe make things change because I he, he's, he's got a good ex- uh, reason to want to retire. You know, he's like 33, gotten the hell beat out of him. He came into the league with a bad back. like. Gronk's whole career almost never got off the ground because of a back injury he had his last year at Arizona. So especially with the kind of bruising that he takes, you know, playing the way he has, uh, he's, he's one of those tight ends, a, a rare kind who is both a really obviously great pass catcher, but he also did the dirtiest work tight ends can do running against the biggest defenders, crashing into them over and over uh, the, the most high collision work there is. So it's rare for those two things to both be true. Usually you got, you know, more like a Tony Gonzalez guy who's, who's basically a receiver 
getting numbers like that. So he's got more toll on him than people might assume. Put it this way. If you're in a dynasty league with those deep benches, don't drop him. Like Mario and I are both not convinced that it's over, over like until you need to drop him for just say like an injury away running back. I would hold them. There's still many months to go. Uh, this does not seem like uh, I couldn't. I would say that there's a 10 to 12 percent chance we see Gronk again in the NFL. I think that's a, a fair assessment. One I guess 10. the Buccaneers could offer more money, too, if it comes down. I don't know. I, I, it's hard to know from afar what all went into it. Right. You know, let's talk from a redraft perspective. I mean, you know, I, I see people, uh, you know, getting excited about Cameron Brait. I, I to me, it's. You know, I'm not overly excited about Cam Britt. We've seen him have some good weeks, but I mean, for me, Russell Gage, man, I mean, this was already a player I was very interested in. What's going to be a Russell Russell Gage take here? So uh, it's kind of funny. I was, I have to, uh, I had to postpone until after this podcast, uh, my wide receiver fade list because the the Gronk news made me delete my whole Russell Gage section, (laughs) which was like 800 words on its own. I, I, I was certainly more skeptical before the Gronk news. I'm not sold now, especially since his price is just going to go up anyway. But I I do think... Seventh round. Let's let's call it like... It's fine. Oh. And, and the thing, too, is it's like that's kind of a dead zone for the ADP anyway, I feel like. It's, it's one of those things like you might look at Gage at that ADP and think oh, that doesn't seem like a good deal to me. But then when you look at the alternatives, it's... Uh, you know, it's not that far away from guys like Valdez Scantling and things like that in the draft order. So, well, here, here's the thing, Mario. If you're going to consider taking Russell Gage now in the seventh round, that's where single quarterback players are getting their Matt Stafford, their Russell Wilson. So you're either foregoing that tier in single quarterback to get Russell Gage. That's the yeah. trade-off. I think that maybe guys, maybe tight ends like Hawkinson or something like that are going, and the running backs like Gibson and whatever else. Um, so. I, I will say if you're going wide receiver in that range, it's hard even for me, a, a relative gauge skeptic to, to, to criticize that. Cause I think if I'm remembering I, the, the ADP closest to him on underdog is like trailing Burks or something like that. So there's, there's certain risks, certain uh, limitations with all the guys in that range. And uh, with Chris Godwin, I still don't take it for a given that he's going to – I certainly don't take it as a given that he's going to be on the PUP list and just miss the first six games. He can he can miss first four games or something, first three games, uh, not go on the PUP list. And uh, that alone, I think, might make it pretty narrow margin of profit on Russell Gage just because I think he's going to go higher than the seventh round now. I think he's going to start pushing for, like, the fifth because Oof. there's – right or wrong, there's kind of a, this, this – uh, not that the narrative spells it out specifically, but there's sort of just kind of like this gut reaction people are experiencing all at the same time that like, oh, Godwin's out of the picture. Godwin's, you know, he's 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 at best deferred. He's he's not going to do anything for however many weeks, maybe the whole year. And I just don't see it that way. I mean, I think I think the question is, I think the absolute worst case scenario is Godwin plays ten games and clearly runs ahead of Gage in all of them. And part of the problem specifically for Gage is that. For most of his career, he's always worked in the slot. Last year, he was still Atlanta's primary slot receiver. But to be fair to Gage, he definitely made more plays outside last year than he did in any previous year. Like he had a couple, he had a, a touchdown against the 49ers was outside. He had a couple other big outside plays. Those plays just did not happen for him in the previous seasons. That might have indicated growth in Gage's development, his skill set. So that that could indicate that the Buccaneers that was. That might have been enough for the Buccaneers to decide he can play outside in their scheme. So 
he the thing is he needs to be able to because Godwin is probably the slot guy when he gets back. That's where he's run all this time. And not that he needs to run there, but it, it would be kind of odd, I think, to give him a role change coming off of an ACL tear. Like he's not going to have reps uh, at the outside spot. So Gage has to make it work outside whenever Godwin is back. And I think a lot of the the thought going into Gage's ADP is sort of presupposing that Godwin at most plays 11 games, uh, whereas I think it's more he plays at least 11 games. And so I, I'm probably still not buying right now myself, but I don't know if, if especially if the wide receivers are going too fast and I just got to take one, I'm not going to, I guess, fret too much in the even the sixth round is where I think his ADP is headed right now. Yeah, I guess you make a compelling case. I'm on the other side of it. We won't spend too much more time on Russell Gage other than Brady made the phone call because he specifically wanted Russell Gage. To me, this reminds me a lot of the the trust that he felt for someone like a James White. Brady's a trust guy. I mean, this is the other side of the case. He had a big game against the Buccaneers, I think is the main thing. He had his biggest game against the Buccaneers last year. So uh, I'm sure he's going to play, but they, they got other guys too. Like Cyril Grayson, if he stays healthy, he was hot last year at the end of the year. Uh, Jalen Darden didn't know the playbook last year. If he knows it now, he, he might be able to do something. They so, still have Rashard Perryman, too. Oh, right. I forgot about that guy. Um, so th- I, I think they might have a bit of a committee approach. But if, for whatever it's worth, if Godwin is out, Gage is definitely their slot guy. Like, I don't think there's any question about that. All right, let's uh, let's let's focus now. That uh, that definitely covers the Gronk news. Uh, we'll, let's hit on a little bit of our stock down, our main topic, and talking looking at relevant news here. Uh, Kenneth Walker's ADP in, in like dynasty rookie drafts. He he goes early. He goes like pick two, sometimes pick four. He never falls past pick four. Mm-hmm. But in redraft leagues, he's been around the seventh round. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of skepticism whether Seattle is well. There's no skeptic. No one thinks Seattle's a good team. People perceive the line is bad. So and that he doesn't catch passes. And then a news blurb came out uh, over the week of the last weekend or week that. Rashad Penny's running ahead of him. My gleaning of that news blurb was they kind of have to say that Penny finished well. And, you know, Pete Carroll is a defer to the veteran guy. So Kenneth Walker stock falling. Where are you going to be on Kenneth Walker in redraft leagues? Um, I, I like him as a prospect. I, I definitely don't. Um, I don't have like skepticism as a player. I definitely think the the ADP on him and redraft and best ball never really made much sense if only because I, I don't think that the Seahawks are just saying anything with Penny and I, I don't think it's like they have to do anything letting him run first it's just if he's healthy there's every reason I think to believe he's better than Walker because anything Walker is good at Penny is just a better version of it like they're both guys who posted really high rushing efficiency for the kind of workhorse workloads they took uh, neither of them caught that many passes in college. I still even don't now know what I think of Penny as a pass catcher. I mean, I, I feel like he's kind of uh, – they haven't really given him a chance to prove that he's good or bad. And at San Diego State, he didn't prove whether he was good or bad at it because he was taking you know 28 carries a game and running for 200 yards every week. And they usually were like, that's enough, Rashad. You don't really need to do more today. And that's what happened with Kenneth Walker, too, at Michigan State. Some people – just look at the box score with him and say, Oh, he must not be a good pass catcher. Well, who else caught passes at running back on that team? No one. And if it was 15 carries a game that Walker was taking instead of 23 or whatever it was, then that would be different too. The issue is in his case at Michigan state, clearly he did all the work that needed doing as a runner. So they didn't ask him to pass uh, uh, catch passes. Very different from a team on offense being like, 
oh man, we wish Kenneth Walker would do something as a pass catcher. We wish Kenneth Walker had done more as a runner. That would be a context where I'd say it's bad here in this case that he didn't do anything as a pass catcher because they could have used it and he didn't step up. Michigan State didn't need anything more from Kenneth Walker. He did everything and more. So I like him. Again, the problem is even in that category, Rashad Penny is just a bigger and no slower version of it. And he was just a better, I think, version of the same the same metrics that Mark Kenneth Walker is a viable NFL runner. Penny demonstrated just that and more at San Diego State, where he posted some of the most obscene numbers anyone ever has in college football. And I know a lot of um, NFL fantasy people kind of want to say that was a long time ago or it doesn't count because it was at San Diego State. And I just – I don't see it that way. I mean, we've, we've had great running backs come from that region. I mean, LaDainian Tomlinson was in what was basically the equivalent of that range. Marshall Falk was literally at the same school. The competition level doesn't make it meaningless that he ran for 7.8 yards per carry and 27 touchdowns in 13 games. And he lit up Stanford. They had a good defense at the time. So Penny is just a, a very conventionally strong uh, runner, I think, and among the best in the league at pure running. So his health is the issue. It's been a major issue. The meniscus tear, and specific, specifically what worries me, meniscus tears often precede uh, degenerative conditions in the knee. So that's my concern. But unless the knee starts barking, I just don't see how Walker gets an inch on him. Mario, do you love fantasy sports? Are you ready for a new challenge this year? Dynasty Owner is the new way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an actual franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique and challenging experience that will test your skills as an owner and general manager. You will have complete control over your team's future. You can build through the draft, make trades, sign free agents, manage your team's salary cap. Can you create a dynasty of champions, Mario? Sign up at DynastyOwner.com and start building your dynasty today. I'm with Mario Puig, and we are celebrating his best ball journals. He already has posted his underdog running back fades on rotowire.com. You can get a peek behind the paywall right now. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try two day free peek, unlock the paywall. And he show sure, uh, Mario should be posting his wide receiver fades, which I had to. God. So with deleting gauge, I've made it now wide receiver and tight ends to, to beef up the word count again. So it's, it's going to have tight ends too. Well, thank God you took Gage off there because I would have had to uh, publicly pan your article <laughs> since I've drafted a lot of Gage. I don't even know if I'm right. I just know I that I have a steady now because you probably locked in the savings and you can see how high yeah. that price gets. And it was yeah. 10th, 11th. It was double digit rounds because uh, oh. I was doing it while you know early on, uh, even before Free the agency. phone, even before the phone call. Yeah, even before the bat phone rang at Gage's house. So, all right, I want to I want to continue on with some of our stock falling players. Now you have Tony Pollard in your uh, running in your running back fades. This kind of coincides with Zeke is falling. He was RB eighteen going at the end of the third, beginning of the fourth round for most of best ball season. People have sobered up a little bit. He's now RB15, still too low. Let me just review for the people. Zeke Elliott, we know he's not a league-winning pick anymore, right? We know that. he was. You had to take him at pick six, pick seven last year. And you know what? You got your money back, but it's not what you want, right? He finished his RB6, RB7. He doesn't have that 35-point upside week to week anymore, but Zeke doesn't miss games. Zeke is, you know, a plug and play top 10 running back that you're getting outside of the top 24 picks. So I'm in on Zeke. His stock is falling. Explain to everybody why you're fading Tony Pollard. I loved your write up on this. And do, are you with me that Zeke is, 
it's by the dip, right? By the Bitcoin dip on Zeke. Well, if his price gets lower yet, then I'll probably have to think very, very long about it because uh, I don't have any Zeke shares yet. And it's not because I mean to fade him. It's it's just that I've kind of, uh, I guess it has to do with like the roster building tendencies that I've had to this point. And I, I tend to shy away from the running backs in that range just because I can't convince myself that I like any of them much more than the others. And I, I kind of try to do the thing where I wait on, I pass on Zeke at a pick and hope I can get Brees Hall at the next one. Cause I, I just kind of think about them similarly. And I, I just kind of go with the cheaper player in that case. But if Zeke gets cheaper, I want cheaper. to get, he's going to get more expensive. I'm just, I'm trying to tell you here. He's going, Oh, I'm sorry. He's going to get more expensive. Well, I guess yeah, his, I might've missed my window then. I don't think he's going to get more expensive though. Cause I think Zeke mm. is one of those guys who, a lot of people in the fantasy scene, including the media, have been looking for reasons to call him dead for two right. or three years now because they want Pollard to be some guy uh, that he isn't, A, and B, that they've been hyping him to be for a long time. And Boo. so I think at this, place, at this point, you just got people who are invested in Pollard and want to see things that they don't actually see. Hey, Mario, let me, let me interject here. Tony Pollard's going into year four of his, of his career. He's had maybe one projectable start. When I mean projectable start, I mean Zeke is out. It's a clarified mm-hmm. start. You've had Pollard has just been clogging up space on your bench. And unless you were desperate and had to flex him in a deeper league, you almost could never start him. Anyone who dra- in the past, Alexander Madison and Tony Pollard, they're great backup running backs that could you know take the role of the starter, thrust in. Madison, at least you've had four or five clarified starts. With Pollard, that guy usually ends up on the waiver wire as soon as the buy hits anyway. Yeah. So like you said, Pollard is always in his base functions. He's flirting with that flex sort of ability and and rarely much more than that, even in his good cases. And he'll give you plenty of duds too. So even as a flex play, it's difficult to utilize him. Obviously if Zeke gets hurt and if Zeke is out, Pollard is looking golden. The question is how likely is that outcome uh, relative to the price differential between Pollard and a guy like Madison, who uh, I guess in Pollard's case, it's as simple as this for me. I think him and uh, Madison are almost the exact same category of, of fantasy football assets, but one goes like four rounds later than the other. So maybe it's, maybe it's a little too simple of a way to look at it. But for me, in that case, I basically just buy the cheap one. And if something changes, I, I think about it yeah. again at that point, but not until then. And uh, the other thing is in Madison's case, he can actually play a three down workload. The thing that a lot of people don't understand about Pollard, a lot of the people who are in curious about how running backs actually function in the NFL, they, they think you can just scale up a per play snap rate, a per snap kind of production rate and just put it over however many snaps you want with, with no, with, with none of the details renegotiated in light of the scaling up. And it's like, no, when, when you take a 205 pound back and tell him to play Ezekiel Elliott's game, he's going to have something go differently than it usually does. And specifically he's going to probably get hurt or he's probably going to get gassed. You're going to see these off the bench guys who play 20, 30 snaps look a step slower when they have to start playing 40 and 50. They can't run at 110% every snap or else they burn out too fast. So I think Pollard's a great off the bench player. I think that's all he can be. Uh, I think a lot of the people think he can be Zeke and, and that's just not the case. Zeke, especially at his peak, of course, was one of the best. And even now he's still good, but people have just wanted a reason to say the pass catching guy is going to play over the stupid running specialist. Cause that's, that's just smart to do that categorically, but it's, it's only smart if the pass catcher is actually better 
than the runner. And that's not the case here. They're, they're going to coexist. Given that uh, Michael Callup is probably going to miss a good part of the season with his late season injury from last year, you could see maybe there's a possibility Tony Pollard lines up in, in an Aaron Jones slot role. That would be fine. But here's some Zeke facts, and then we'll move on to our next player that stock is down. Zeke has played 15 games or more in every season as a pro except for one, and that was because he was suspended. And he just doesn't – he's never even on the midweek injury report. That guy is iron. He's only 26 years old. He'll be 27 in July. He is in the late peak of his career. I'm drafting him. Let's move on. Another player plummeting down draft boards right now is uh, – there's two running back. We're By the way, we're here. I'm here with Mario Puig, who just went to go silence his animal. And I am Alan Soslowski sitting in for John McKegney. John will be back next week with Mario and all season long. So, oh, look at that. So, uh, what's your dog's Sorry. name? What's your dog's name? Uh, this is Dulce the dog. Yeah. Okay, Dulce the dog. You either, I was going to say you look like the godfather, but the godfather had the cat on his lap. So, it's, uh, you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're the next running back falling down draft boards right now. I mean, Antonio Gibson. This seems like a little bit of an overcorrection. Now, when he was going in the late first round of drafts last year because he was getting those Christian McCaffrey comparisons, that seemed a little heavy to me. But right now, I mean, I understand all the obstacles that have been put in front of him. He's got the Brian Robinson coming in to presumably have an immediate role. And J.D. McKissick's a real threat to, uh, you know, to, to the passing game. Arts. But Antonio Gibson's a really good player. I, I mean, in the sixth round right now, that seems – is that appropriate? Why is his stock falling? Should we be buying the dip on Antonio Gibson? Yeah, it's clearly a case where – I think anyway, it's clearly a case of people kind of – overreacting to the the bitterness that they felt at, at last year, not working out as well as it could have and sort of uh, coinciding that sentiment with this really popular motive of, of fantasy analysis, especially in the dynasty scene right now, where you just sort of act like everything means the same thing in every circumstance based on past uh, queries. And so what I mean is, there's examples of teams spending a third round pick on a running back and using that running back right away. Even if there was some other running back on the team who played the previous year, that is a generally true thing. It's not always true. And in the case of Brian Robinson, we have a clear instance of where it's not going to be true. It's not going to be that they spent a third rounder on him because they plan to use him right away. Let them plan to use him if they want to. It's not going to work because he can't actually play running back in the NFL in a leading role. They by, got way, him, have, I th- by the way, we have some breaking news, and then I'm going to let you continue. Breaking news. So you have uh, – everyone sees that's watching on the video feed the dog on the lap, and we talked about the godfather. Here we go. The godfather with the cat on the lap. There it is. This is Mario right now. I interrupted for, for, this, for this layup <laughs> joke. This is Mario. Okay, here we go. For those listening on the audio cast – we have a picture of the Godfather with the cat on the lap. Mario is sitting there stroking his his puppy while he's uh, giving these takes, and it is honestly, it's very Godfather like. Continue. I interrupted for that for that joke um, that nobody could see except for the video people. I, I, I appreciate it. I didn't know Brian the, Robinson the graphics like that. So Brian Robinson, a was he was barely even a real third round pick. It was the late stage of the compensatory selection. So it's like in in uh, two thousand and one, this would have been a fourth round pick. Uh, now, I only mention that because there's there's so much indifference in the dynasty scene about distinguishing draft placement. They, there's like put a variable of three and it's like there's 36 selections in the third round every year. Like, what do you how can you say that the same thing? Uh, anyway, there was that in and, and Washington clearly was like, we just don't have we just don't have um, 
you know, many needs. Like they spent a bunch of money at corner. They got the, the five deep at the defensive line. They got a first round linebacker last year. In addition to Cole Holcomb, they didn't have anyone that they could pick at that selection who would play anyway. So they're like, let's get a, let's get a bulky running back. Let's get a power runner. Um, I, I could imagine, I guess, to be fair, Brian Robinson playing like short yardage kind of stuff if they want to force that. But the problem with him is there's no reason to believe he'll ever produce in the NFL. He barely produced ever at Alabama. It was only his fifth year that he did. Um, overall, his production and athleticism profile to me looks the same as someone like uh, I always mix these guys up. It was either AJ Blue or Alfred Blue, the LSU running back that the Texans Alfred Blue. Had. Alfred. Yeah, Blue. Um, I think he's exactly the same as him. I think he'll play if Gibson gets hurt and not at all if he doesn't. McKissick, you're right. I don't see any way to get him out of the picture because no. uh, Scott Turner loves him and. He's always, you know, in the right place at the right time. He does his job. I'm sure he's okay. And he chose to come back to the Washington Commanders versus going for a Super Bowl ring. Like, there was enough incentive for him. For those of you who are just catching up, I'm sure most people here know fantasy football left and right, but J.D. McKissick did uh, have a verbal agreement to move to the Buffalo Bills, and then right when he was about to sign his deal, back to the Washington Commanders. They have a role for him. Yeah, I. so I will say... I think that some some of the analysis to some of the media analysis of this backfield has tried to take Ron Rivera quotes and Scott Turner quotes and single, you know, single them out, fixate on them and say, look, they said this. This is something that they're going to. They, and they've said things like we're going to get Brian Robinson involved. You can find Scott Turner saying things like you said, we're trying to get him like Christian McCaffrey or whatever. We're try- uh, talking about Antonio Gibson. They say everything nice about everybody that they have. So. I don't think you can look at Robinson and just take coach quotes and say, oh, clearly Gibson's going to give up carries to this guy. I think you can say McKissick's going to take targets and stuff just because he's already done it. And and Turner clearly – he went and picked him out in free agency two years ago just because he clearly had this vision of using him this particular way. So I do think that they still like Gibson a lot. I think they – the Robinson pick was just kind of a combination of having more draft picks than they knew what to do with at the time and – remembering anecdotally last year that they the, the discomfort that they felt at having to put Antonio Gibson out there every week with a cracked shin and having no other options. So I think they want another option if the guy that they otherwise want to go with cracks his shin and isn't himself like last year. We're talking about stock down running backs with Mario Puig and I'm Alan Soslowski. We're also celebrating Mario's best ball journals. Do you like that celebrating? Is that a good way to describe it? <laughs> um you can I'm do celebrating. that. It, uh, it seems a little optimistic to me. But. Yeah, no, no. I, I enjoy um, reading your best ball journal because, you know what, it, whether I agree with – I mean, this is true for any – you know, for any piece of content, but whether you agree with it or not, it's Mario always adds good insight as to um, why you should be fading these uh, running backs and best balls. You can find that right now on rotowire.com. All right. The next player whose stock is falling and nobody wants to touch Josh Jacobs right now. He is absolute kryptonite. Just to give a quick review of what's happened in the off season is um, Josh McDaniels, new coach, right? Uh, that check good we we like josh mcdaniel he's had a good history of of running back production when he was with new england guessing which running back that would be is always the challenge and then they draft zamir white uh in out of georgia in the fourth round they still have Kenyon drake um they obviously signed Devonte adams uh, signed you know, uh what's it brandon bolden brandon bolden right which you know let's assume that he's a special teamer for now unless you think that that is going to be significant you know that's going to chip out of four or five carries but Josh Jacobs right now in ADP. I pulled ADP for the last few days. He is dropping like a stone, man. He is RB23 going 100 and 
29th overall? That seems a little nuts. I don't know if that's 100%. Maybe that's one of those like three team leagues or something. No, no, no. This is NFFC ADP. This is like the. Yes, this is the real. Uh, but for, you got a sometime, murder charge coming or something? You know no, I mean? uh, it's more about forget that because I'll double check that. Sometimes those numbers <laughs> could be a little skewed. But Josh Jacobs right now the, uh, is going RB23. So that's probably like the fifth round. Uh, you know, we talked about. Starting I see him running six quite quite a bit along with Gibson, okay. yeah. Fair enough. Fifth, sixth round. Nobody wants him. What is his stock legit? Is is that the appropriate place for Josh Jacobs, or should we be buying the dip? I am interested in buying. I'm, I'm interested in him, Antonio Gibson, and Elijah Mitchell in this range, and that's because I personally have trouble distinguishing them from uh, some of the guys, some of the running backs you see going in like the second and the third and the fourth. So. There's, there's some of those earlier running backs that I'm interested in. Uh, I'm a big Travis Etienne fan, so I got to think about him around the third, four turn. I'm a fan of Brees Hall. I like him in that range too. But there's plenty of times where I'm looking at that pick and I'm thinking, God, I, I got to just resist the urge to take the running back and just take some receiver. Almost doesn't matter who. Uh, even someone that I'm not high on, like DJ Moore. I, I love DJ Moore. I just hate that team. But if it's, I have to think about taking a guy like DJ Moore at that pick, even though I love Etienne and his setup. Because you, by the way, every, stop there. Would you like DJ Moore more if Baker Mayfield signed or sit just it's a wash? I don't know. I guess I don't know. It can't hurt. I mean, I, well, yeah, it can't okay. hurt. I just on, on with Josh anyway. Jacobs. I was just curious. Yeah, so uh, your reaction, part of the reason your rea- why I, I, I try to resist taking a running back there is because I've, I it's agonizing for me to have to be taking a receiver in the sixth round when I see Antonio Gibson and Elijah Mitchell and Josh Jacobs falling almost to the seventh. And of course, I'm a big Rashad Penny fan, so I take him in the 10th a lot. So I, I find it pretty easy to to want to wait on running back, especially when those guys who, I, by the way, in Jacobs is more specific case. I think basically all the panic is misguided. Uh, I think if people are doing this thing where they're like, oh, well, you have to project Kenyon Drake for a certain amount and Zamir White for a certain amount. And then there's only this much left for Jacobs. I don't see it that way at all. I think it's more like what do those two get after Jacobs? And it, the answer in either case could be nothing. Kenyon Drake could get cut. Um, he's just, he doesn't offer them any functions. Like John Gruden had this blinkered idea about, Oh, we're going to make Kenyon Drake our pass catching specialist. He's never been a good pass catcher. Never. And he, you know, surprising, unsurprisingly was not very good at it last year. Brandon Bolden is a really good pass catcher. So I wouldn't be shocked if Brandon Bolden is the second running back on that team, uh, playing a lot of hurry up, passing down stuff. But Whatever way it shakes out, I think people are out of their minds to think that Kenny Drake or Zamir White are just going to force this like one third, one third, one third split. There's no way. When we're going to take a quick break for our audio audience, stick around YouTube audience. And when we come back, we're going to talk about two young running backs whose stock is falling right after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And we're back. Thanks for sticking with us. I'm Alan Sislowski of rotowire.com YouTube page. And of course, I'm here with Mario Puig. I'm sitting in for John McKechnie. John will be back with Mario next week. You could also, uh, we do another uh, dynasty focused podcast on Fridays on this exact live stream. This week, I'll have Joe Bartle coming on from rotowire.com to talk a little dynasty trades and how that relates to um, how it relates to redraft this year. So some good player outlooks. Check us out. If you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, you can feel free to do that at any time just by clicking the subscribe button and if you like videos like this consider hitting the like button uh helps us out and it shows us that you like content like this okay moving on uh we teased it there's two players whose stock is falling and they're young running backs when best ball season started mario i was seeing javante williams go in the top three picks um he crept down to the end of the first round melvin gordon signs it takes a minute, but he falls into the the one two turn, and now he's going routinely in round three. Stock really? down, wow. yeah. I mean, you're you're getting him on if you if you're pick you're getting it pick twenty four. Let me give you his exact ADP right now. He is Javante Williams is going at eighteen and a half. So okay, so he's not out of on ADP out of the second round yet. Maybe it's just wishful thinking. RB nine. Uh, he's going ahead of Aaron Jones, Leonard Fournette. Not sure I would do it. Stock down on Javante Williams. What should uh, fantasy drafters be doing this year? Right. Uh, Javante, of course, has been a bit of a – I've, I've kind of drawn some hate for, for my takes on him in the past. I maintain that I've always said – I've always believed that he's totally good and that his, his biggest proponents are just kind of out of their minds, and I still believe that. Um, talk, an example of that would be, yeah, him going like third overall – just because just because Gordon, you know, hadn't signed there yet, like even if Gordon hadn't signed there yet, what exactly what what basis do we have for thinking Javante Williams is going to take up some Christian McCaffrey workload? Like it's 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 always been a, a limited workload that he's taken, and it makes sense because of the way that he runs. If you have to break that many tackles just to get four point four yards per carry, then it's going to be an issue to scale to to, to imagine a way where you can scale up that workload and have him play the same way that he always has. If you want him to break all these tackles, then you're going to have to keep his workload maintained. Or if you want him to raise his workload, he's going to have to start finding a way to, to get those reps without getting hit so many times because he's, he's going to go down eventually. Now, he's, he's always been explosive, and I think there's every reason to think he'll keep being explosive. And the Russell Wilson acquisition, of course, is going to take them into scoring range much more than uh, the, the past couple of years, the past um, many years, I guess. So that stuff's all great. And it does put on the table the possibility that he has a season more like Aaron Jones, I guess, a couple of years ago, 
where, you know, especially if they're getting into the red zone and they lean on him as a pass catcher to drive up that touchdown count, that's a way it could work. But the the scenario of, of imagining Javante Williams taking, you know, 300 carries and getting 60 catches or something, there's no reason to believe a 200 and uh, it was 212 when he ran that 457 at the pro day. So it could pretty easily be a 46 flat at the combine. Like this is this is not a Nick Chubb level athlete. And that's the comparison you always see. You see people aesthetically compare the two because Nick Chubb breaks a lot of tackles and Javante Williams breaks a lot of tackles. What you don't see in Javante's case is the pulling away from the defense over and over after he breaks those tackles. If Nick Chubb's breaking 10 tackles a play, he's going over five yards a carry. And he's got 230 pounds of mass to take that beating too. So uh, I don't really have an interest in Javante Williams at that particular price, just because I think you need that Aaron Jones outcome to justify that price. And I, I don't really take that as a given, not because I think Gordon's great or anything. I, I mean, he's, he's fine. Whatever. But he's, this, he's this generation's Frank Gore. Like he's enough to, to squash the ceiling of his fellow backmate. Like yeah, Melvin Gordon I'm not get... skipping the threat for sure. I, I mean, hell, I, I even think Gordon might be one of the better running back values at ADP right now. He, he almost just in projection sense, you almost can put him in a similar category as um I don't know. Well, he, sorry, he, he's going. He's going around. I feel like where Alexander Madison and guys like that are. Uh, so he too is in that group where it's like, why wouldn't you take Gordon over Pollard? It's like he's going to play for sure, and he actually right. might be a three-down player if Javante Williams were to miss time. Uh, so I, I think Gordon's a good player or whatever. Uh, it's just I don't know. It, I think there's clearly room for them both. Uh, Javante probably like 35, 40 snaps, and they're still going to have 25 snaps left over. Gordon's always going to take those and Javante Williams is not ever going to be a candidate to take 50 plus 60 plus snaps. He's just not that kind of player. Or if he does, he's going to have to start running a different way. You can't keep getting hit six times every play. If you want to play 60 snaps a game. We're talking about players, specifically running backs, whose stock is down right now. Whether we agree with it or disagree with it, we're considering buying the dip. A player whose stock is definitely down, and I believe that this is the the bottom, is Saquon Barkley. There's no way that he is not going to be a one-two-turn player. I could see him shooting into the top 15. Uh, The rationale would be... Brian Dable, the Buffalo Bills coordinator from last year, now the head coach of the Giants. He is going to uh, – all reports are that Saquon Barkley is heavily involved in the passing game. Uh, Saquon Barkley has the ability to break it at any time. I, I All it's going to take is one play in the preseason or one Twitter video, and yeah. I believe his ADP shoots up. You can get him in the third round sometimes. If you're in a draft with me, he never makes it out of the second round. Uh, Barkley, stock down. What should fantasy drafters do with Saquon Barkley? Buy the dip or ignore him where he is? Yeah, I know it's uh, it, it's kind of scary the idea of buying in bulk a player with his injury history and and so many just dud games the past couple of years. But I think it, it's there's a pretty good case to make for buying Barkley in bulk right now for the reasons that you said. Uh, if we get if we get to you know day one of training camp and someone posts on Twitter, some clip of him like doing a backflip or something. And he's, he's going to go in like the top 15 that day. So I, I definitely think, uh, you know, up to an extent, I'm not saying, you know, take out a loan and buy up on Barkley specifically, but if you're going to do a certain number of drafts anyway, consider putting a, a higher target rate on Barkley than like, at worst. You can just kind of buy him a lot now and just hold off the rest of the off season, you know, knowing, Hey, I got my, my exposure, you know, you can revisit it in general, but you don't need to. He's so cheap right now. And, and like you said, he's, 
he's this guy who can give you three downs. I, I guess we worry about the, the durability limiting his workload. And even if, uh, even if they plan to give him a lot of work, it's possible he just gets hurt. And for that reason, doesn't get a lot of work. But that's the only way he doesn't get a lot of work. And if he does stay healthy, he will reap the benefits of playing in an offense that's by far the most functional he's had since, I don't know, like his second year in the league or something, rookie year maybe. Um, I, I guess some, some background information here. I personally am pretty high on Dable. I think he's pretty impressive. I think he's going to do uh, a good job with the Giants. And even, even with that said, he doesn't need to be particularly good to be a lot better than Judge and Garrett were. So I'm pretty high on the Giants from a few angles, uh, Barkley being the primary one. I'm even a little bit interested in Daniel Jones, especially in best ball, just because, uh, you know, he's might be running and throwing the ball a lot this year and he's, he's, he's not afraid of anything. So he's going to, he's going to go in head first as a runner uh, might make some big plays. So, but Barkley is, is uh, around like the three, four turn. It's like, just got to hammer that one. I think. I mean, I, I'm, like I said, I don't see him getting out of the second round when you're not going to see him getting it's out of the probably because I'm doing underdog drafts right now. And in yes. redraft, maybe those workhorse running backs go a little higher just because those guys, especially like NFFC, you see some of these early drafting NFFC teams, they take like 12 running backs just to bank on training camp injuries. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I'm with you. I like uh, Daniel Jones too with Brian Dable, but the one thing, and I, I've been drafting Daniel Jones too. So the one thing that scares me about that is that Dable brought in his guy, Tyrod Taylor, who he coached at the uh, with, uh, when he was on the Bills. To me, that signals that if things go sideways, Tyrod Taylor is going to get an opportunity to play. It's one of those Andy Dalton sort of Mendoza line backup guys that the, the Giants cannot be a four win team again. Dable needs to get them to a respectable eight and nine, nine and eight. And he probably has playoff aspirations. So if the giants start three and five and Daniel Jones is a playing well, that could be all she wrote. That's what I'm concerned about with Daniel Jones and best ball, but I have been taking him. All right, let's talk about a couple other stock down players. Uh, Cam Akers is making his way back up, but there was a positive report that he looks a hundred percent. He was going as like the RB 22. I think, let me just look right now where he's up to in the last two weeks. Uh, let me just change over to running backs here. Cam Akers on NFFC. I'm not talking underdog now. Uh, running backs get a little, oh, he's up to RB 20, which is not great, but right now is the, might be the last week to buy him before you see a Twitter or a social media clip of him going. Uh, Cam Akers, Rams, they have Daryl Henderson. They drafted, uh, they drafted Kyron Williams, who's already banged up. Not much competition there. What are you doing with Cam Akers while the stock is down? Yeah, after Javante Williams, I think Cam Akers is probably the running back who I've had the most disagreement with people about. And uh, A, I think Akers is a worse player overall than Javante Williams. And uh, B, I think, I don't know, the, the Achilles is not exactly reassuring, don't get me wrong. But I think some of the narrative has gotten a little mangled with Akers. Like I see people saying, oh, he didn't look like himself when he came back from that Achilles tear last year. And I think they're just looking at his numbers and not really the tape. He looked fine to me. I mean, in that Arizona game, his first one, that was either the first or second one back, people were specifically saying how amazing he looked. Like, how wow, he looks even better than before the injury. And the reason is, against Arizona, they were blasting open these, these big rushing lanes, and he was, you know, running. He, he had room to run against the Buccaneers and all those other playoff matchups, he'd run into a wall because nobody on the Rams was running in those playoff games. And, and I think that 
uh, structural detail is what informed his numbers rather than the Achilles slowing him down. I don't, I don't think he's looked slow in the slightest. So I, I'm not actually as worried about the Achilles as most people. And uh, with this price falling at this point, I'm actually plenty interested in trapping acres. Like he's, he's not some bum or anything. It's just, you know, to some people, especially because he was that five-star first overall running back recruit at Florida state. Some people were just committed to for a long time. They were committed to, this narrative about him being some kind of, you know, generational talent. And I was more like, yeah, he's, he's fine. You know, he's Joe Mixon type. He's fine, whatever. Um, so he was going around like the 10, 11 overall pick last year. I was, was open to yeah. it because I, I'm still, of course, high on Stafford. And I thought that the offense was going to kick a lot of ass last year. And I thought it was a case where it doesn't even really matter who the running back is. They're just going to produce in a position like this. Um, I still think that, uh, I don't think Darrell Henderson – I don't know what to make of Darrell Henderson, I guess. That, that's the biggest concern for me, I suppose. I'm not concerned about Kyron Williams. Kyron Williams isn't going to do anything. Um, I don't worry about the Achilles all that much. So if his if Akers' price is going to stay in this range, I need to get some shares now because uh, I, I definitely expect it to, to rise. It, it doesn't – it seems like an overcorrection to me that he's fallen this far, and I, I think people are, are maybe ha- – haven't thought it through yet and, and will eventually, and then the price will go up. Yeah, I haven't had any Cam Akers on any of my teams. I never like where he's going, but at this point where he – like, for example, last year in a dynasty league, right? I traded Cam Akers away right after the injury for A.J. Dillon and a second-round pick, which I think I turned into – it was like 203. You know, I either turned it into Isaiah Spiller. I forget exactly what it was, the 203, 204. And, you know, Dillon – you know, it just felt like that he could be on the way up. It's dynasty. It's That's different. different animals. Right yeah. There. I mean, yeah, I just, you know, betting against the Achilles injury, it, it just made sense to me. All right. We're talking about running backs whose stock is falling. Another player whose stock has fallen was Michael Carter. I believe you buy the dip here. You talked about Brees Hall. Now a news blurb came out that Brees Hall is, is the one is the Batman to Michael Carter's Robin. Michael Carter is being treated like he's the Joker. You know, like that he's a 10th round pick. Michael Carter, I mean, you could probably pencil him in to six to eight weekly touches as a floor, including three or four of those being pass receptions. I think, Michael, this could be a situation where we have 14 to eight touches a week uh, or, you know, 17 to 12 touches a week when you talk about Brees Hall and Michael Carter for the month of September, maybe even dripping into October. Who knows what happens once Brees Hall gets his legs under him, but I want you to talk about Michael Carter more than I want you to talk about Brees Hall because that's the player whose stock is down. Yeah, I like both of them at ADP, and it seems like Carter got even lower since the last time I looked. Like, I'm pulling up the underdog ADP. He's going after Darrell Henderson and Isaiah Spiller. Uh, I guess I don't feel strongly about that, but what I do feel strongly about RB is- RB35 right now. Right, and what I do feel strongly about is you don't want to be the person who – takes Tyler Algier or Kenny Gainwell nine within nine picks of when Carter goes off the board. Uh, you Carter is, is clearly going to do something and it, it might be true that his ceiling is capped. I, I just do assume his ceiling is capped. I don't think he ever, even in his best case scenario profiled as a high volume guy, but there's still a place for players who are mid volume, high efficiency. And I think there's every reason to believe he's exactly that. So I think the Jets, especially with the questions that they have at quarterback for the time being, have reason to run Brees Hall into the ground and give Carter plenty of work in situations where, where Hall needs a breather. So 
I think this is Carter's almost like an example of Tony Pollard where the price is just too cheap instead of too high. And I think he's going to give you a bunch of good flex weeks. If Hall misses time, they pretty much have to put in Carter as the starter, even if he can't take the exact same workload. But in those weeks, he can give you the ceiling that he showed already last year when he was plugged in as a starter for those few weeks that he had. And uh, you know, going going back to North Carolina, he's always been explosive. He started ahead of Javante Williams, and not just for seniority reasons. Like he's he's always been really dangerous with the ball. So, yeah, the workload you, you can't project over a certain amount. Like even if Hall gets hurt, Carter's at at 200 pounds only going to take on so much work. But I think it would be a mistake to think he disappears. Like it, it's he's too good for a team that bad to just not use him. You brought up an interesting point about Pollard and, and juxtaposing him with Michael Carter. At least Michael Carter, when bye weeks hit, you could stash him in your lineup. Pollard almost has no value in the past. I mean, if you believe that he's going to be involved in the passing game and be in the slot, that's a different different avenue. But you know, Carter, like you said, is startable even, especially in September and October, especially even when Brees Hall is is healthy. So I think that's the discerning difference right there. Uh, let's move back up into the first round and a player whose stock has fallen. It's all relative. Uh, you know, Derek Henry is still a first round pick, but I mean, he was winning people leagues in the first eight weeks of the season. I mean, if you had Derek Henry, you were in first place. You lost Derek Henry. You're lucky if you made the playoffs. Are you taking him in the first round? I mean, are you taking him in the top five picks? Are you taking those wide receivers over him? Stock down on Derrick Henry. So I want you to talk about what Derrick Henry's 2022 outlook is, and then I need you to tell me who I should roster as a backup. Is it Hassan Haskins? <laughs> is it Dontrell Hilliard who's getting some camp buzz? Is it Julius Chestnut? <laughs> uh, so Derrick Henry is one of my favorite players and has been for a long time. Uh, I was – I was one of those people who, who um, did not take it well when, when people would say that Deion Lewis was going to run ahead of him. Like, that was always insane to me. DeMarco uh, Murray went ahead um, of him. What's that? Remember when DeMarco Murray was playing ahead of him? Oh, right. That was fun. Uh, yeah, so it, <laughs> Derrick Henry to me was, was one of those guys who I was like, he's awesome. He just needs the chance. And, you know, it was, it was more so trendy to say the opposite. Like, oh, he's, he's, he's a dinosaur. He was made for the game 30 years ago. He'll never make it. And it was, it was awesome to see him break out and just stomp everybody. I'd love to see it continue. With that said, I am definitely worried about the foot. Uh, Whereas when Cam Akers' return from an Achilles looked like he was a hundred percent to me, Derek Henry did not look a hundred percent to me. And I, I worry about what's going to happen with that foot. I mean, granted, I haven't heard anything since. I haven't read or heard anything since then. I, there's been no doom or gloom that I'm aware of. So maybe I should just um, be more optimistic. But I have not particularly come close to taking Derrick Henry in the first round yet. And I, I don't know if I'm ever going to have the gumption to do that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Right I hate that goes- team. I hate that team. I think they're going to suck this year. And uh, oh, the backup question. Definitely Hilliard. I don't think Haskins is going to play much in the NFL. Yeah, Tilliard is is one of those like serviceable guys, scrubby guys. He'll be a nice waiver wire guy. I wouldn't draft him, but I would certainly be keep your budget ready if you need a running back. If Henry's... you could do worse in the last round, I think. I think you, you see often uh, Haskins going. I want to say in like the fifteenth or so. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's worth drafting. So if 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 Haskins is worth taking there, I think Hilliard, you know, might have a case. 
Yeah, Mario, Reality Sports, uh, the powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build their and manage their fantasy team like a real NFL general manager. It's time to go and see what all the buzz is about in the dynasty community. Free agency, multi-year contracts, rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and much more. Think it sounds complicated, Mario? It's not. The best thing about Reality Sports Online fantasy front office is that it doesn't take any more time than a regular redraft league and office league. It just requires a little bit more strategy. If you think you're among the fantasy elite in dynasty, this is the platform for you. Still not sure. You can test out your general manager skills for free in a mock free agency auction. If you like what you see, use the promo code rotowire R O T O W I R E to receive a 10% discount on your first team today. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. All right, Mario, let's finish up our discussion talking about a few of your running back fades. Uh, and we could tie it into stock down, guys. But anytime someone drafts Alvin Kamara in a, in a best ball league, not a managed league, I'm laughing all the way to the bank. Why is he going as a 10th running back right now uh, with the looming suspension? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think this is one of those cases where the the public opinion ADP is kind of hedging. Like there, there's there's some people drafting just in case. And to me, this is as simple as there is there is no in case. There, there it's not on the table. Like he's going to miss time. The question How many? is if give, give me a projection. Is it four games? I'll, is it four? I'll say four. Uh, okay. It could be six. I mean, this thing that he did. Uh, what did he good. do for those for those who haven't been it was last year it was during the pro, it was right bowl. It was in the pro bowl yeah like two days before the pro bowl or something uh he had a warrant out or something during the game i feel like anyway uh what what he, do you do explain the so explain the offense i haven't looked at the the footage or anything if it's out there and i haven't even read the case details a, for a while but if i remember fight. right what happened was him and his entourage of like four or five people uh, started mouthing him and some other guys started mouthing off at each other. His crew was mouthing off at some guy. Uh, they start fighting and being an entourage versus one person uh, for no other reason. They, they get this guy, you know, on the ground beating on him. Uh, Kamara, I think if I remember right, he like came in late, like he wasn't initially involved. Like he just heard his people like getting into something and came running in. And he said, or at least I, I remember in an article that, that said he told police, the guy was running away from me and then I started wailing on him. And so look, you don't get to claim self-defense if you say the guy was running away from you. And when it's on tape that they're beating this guy, uh, I'm pretty sure it was felony charge. It sounded like it was, I mean, the guy was All right. so this sounds... killed or anything, but he was beat to hell. And uh, th- he's on tape saying that he did it when the guy was trying to flee. I'm, I'm wondering why the league hasn't doled out the suspension yet, but this sounds like a typical Eight game suspension negotiated down to four or six. That's what it sounds like to me. Because and you know you, they always go higher because they know you're going to negotiate it lower. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I'm no expert on that, but I mean if that sounds reasonable enough to me, six would not shock me. Eight would shock me, but no, four no, is I, I guess what I would guess. What yeah. I'm saying is that the NFL right. will, unless they reach. Sometimes what they do is when these player nego- in these suspension negotiations, they'll say, "Hey, this is it," but you can't appeal. Right. So they'll say if you take five games and don't appeal, but if they don't like it, they'll they'll dole out the higher one knowing it's going to get negotiated down. Just like when you do a trade in your in your fantasy league, uh, you know, you'll throw out an offer that's a little more than you want, knowing it's going to get negotiated down. But back to the point, Alvin Kamara stock down. So you agree. And I mean, where would he have to fall in order for you to draft him in best ball? The fourth round? 
fifth round Some, something like that you know i never i never thought it through i guess but it was one of those things like i can look right now it's like 22 is too high second round's too high it's uh none of these other guys are starting at 12 or uh, 13 games you know and and he can still get hurt just because he's missing time with suspension doesn't mean that he's like any lesser of an injury risk yeah that, that all makes sense uh let's give the people one more before we wrap up here we're talking about players whose stock is down uh, I was high on Devin Singletary. You have James Cook as a fade at his ADP at 107 in underdog. Uh, talk about it from a PPR perspective. So stock down for Devin Singletary. I want you to uh, really parse out where you would take the Buffalo running backs. Uh, are you buying Devin Singletary given that he finished very strong last year? I'm not really buying Singletary, but if I have to choose between him and Cook at ADP, it's no question for me. Definitely it's Singletary. And the reason for that is Singletary, if only for de facto reasons, is their lead runner between the tackles. And I personally think Zach Moss is capable of doing more, but if he's going to be hurt all the time, then I guess it doesn't really matter. And a healthy uh, scratch. Moss was a healthy scratch last year a couple times. Right, but that stuff has to do with like your availability for practice on a week-to-week mm. basis, and you get phased out of the game plan. They, they start giving reps and practice to other guys for like continuity reasons. I mean, they almost benched Singletary for Matt Breida before he fumbled in that one game. So right. they, they have a weird way of doling out the workload. Um, Moss, I mean, I think he's just been hurt, but uh, Singletary has shown a certain ability to run even if it is true, which I think it is, that uh, he's basically playing on easy mode because Josh Allen's arm pushes back the defense so much. Josh Allen's rush threat off the edge spreads the defense thin in the middle of the field. And Singletary, I don't think he's that great of a runner, but he runs with 150% motor. He, he never goes yeah. down on the first contact. He gets his, he gets his shoulders underneath defenders and, and moves them back. So he can keep doing that. There's no doubt. There is no reason, on the other hand, to believe Cook can do any of that. And if you take last year's offense you've and you kind of generously reallocate the targets that there were to running backs, and even if you project an increase in running back targets generally, it's hard for me to get to anything higher than something like 50 targets for James Cook. Meanwhile, as a runner, you know, you already got Allen taking enough as it is. And to me, Singletary Moss are clearly not just them, Duke Johnson, if necessary, anybody on that team is ahead of James Cook for running between the tackles, anyone at all. So he needs to kill it as a pass catcher. And I just don't think 50 targets is enough. Granted, in PPR scoring, the case gets easier to make for James Cook. Uh, I just think you're looking at something probably like 300 yards receiving, 200, 300 yards rushing. To me, James Cook is just Justin Jackson who got picked four rounds too early. I'm going to put you on the spot here as we close out. Lightning round of answers sleepers we're going to talk about here sleeper running backs who's a sleeper running back and by sleeper we mean a player being drafted outside of the top 48 picks in round five or later that has a chance to finish as a top 12 running back who are you going to take in a lot of your drafts that just based on the upside alone yeah I talked about penny before i definitely think he's an obvious candidate for that i think Corderell patterson can make two good years in a row uh chase edmonds i think is a bit too cheap i think uh if Damian Harris gets hurt, Ramondre Stevenson could be a three-down monster. Like uh, well, Ronald Jones and Isaiah Spiller is kind of running specialists on two otherwise productive offenses that will probably get into scoring range quite a bit. Uh, I, I also think uh, James Robinson and Jamal Williams go a bit late. Even I'm not even a fan of Jamal Williams, but he's it's like right. people stop drafting him almost. Yeah. 
He got so, it. He's, uh, he's being ignored. And you know why that is with Jamal Williams is because when he had the opportunity, when Swift went down, it was Craig Reynolds. That scares a lot of people. And that and whether that's justified or not, Craig Reynolds had those two or three usable games. And they're like, what happened to Jamal Williams? And when that actually happened and it's carrying over to this year, that's my explanation as to why people are ignoring Jamal. Uh, fair enough. Otherwise, I guess uh, Sony Michelle. I don't know what's going on there, but someone needs to make the, the Dolphins roster as like a between the tackles runner. And uh, mm. if he does, maybe he could do something. But yeah, I, I, I mainly cut the line at Penny before the guys that I'm really willing to stick out my neck for. Yeah, I mean, there's people out there right now with all the good news on Marlon Mack that are drafting him, and I, I can't say it's a bad pick in the 14th round. You know, it's it's not bad just to see. It's Once you hit the 12th round, Mario, these are all glorified waiver wire picks anyway. Never be yeah. afraid to cut those guys for the new reveal. Let's, you know, I mean, uh, Deontay Foreman, all these guys that, um, you know, have a chance. You, you're Don't get anchored to those players. I think that's the actual takeaway. All right, he's Mario Puig. His best ball journals are up right now on Rotowire. You can check out Rotowire for free for two days. Unlock the paywall. We have our fantasy football rankings up there. If you're a baseball fan, we have our top 400 prospects, NBA draft uh, content up there. And all, all summer long, we're going to be putting up new fantasy football videos. So subscribe to the channel if you're not already. Consider that. Click the subscribe button. We're going to be putting up a ton of free content, interacting with our crowd. And if you like your podcast on audio version, go to the Rotowire fantasy football podcast stream. You can hear John McKegney and Mario every week. They'll be throughout the rest of the summer and into the season. Uh, all right, everybody. Uh, we'll be back Friday with another uh, YouTube live stream. Good luck in your fantasy leagues, and let us know how you do in your best ball drafts. We'll be back next on Friday. Goodbye. <laughs>